I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We are Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 24th, 2022, the 369th day of dystopia. Before we get started, just want to let you know how to keep up with the podcast. You can download the Telegram app and go to t.me slash I'm your moderator. There you will find the info stream full of articles, my thoughts throughout the day, everything I'm reading. And I try to make that a comprehensive news feed for political events and events around the world. You can also find me on Substack. I just posted an article yesterday reacting to Barry Weiss's appearance on Real Time with Bill Maher the other night. She blew up the COVID narrative with Bill Maher, and everybody's very excited that the left is finally hearing a few actual facts about the coronavirus narrative and how wrong it was. But they still think that this is all new information, information we've been discussing for two years. They still think it's all brand new and they're trying to be the brave and edgy people. They're right on the cutting edge. Oh, Barry Weiss, you're so brave. Bill Maher, you're so brave. So I wrote about that yesterday. You can find that at I'm your moderator I designed some new merch over the weekend and introduced uh, Joe Biden in his proper character, which is Idiotler. So that's up on the merch site, cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Bunch of other merch up there as well. And don't worry, it's not all so triggering. And a huge thank you to everyone who has donated to support the podcast financially. It is much appreciated and it really does help me continue to do this work. If you'd like to donate, ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator, ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go on over to the podcast in your Apple Podcast app and leave a rating, a five-star rating if you like the show and a review if you can. So let's get right into it. The narrative continues to collapse. This is from Saturday in American Greatness, amgreatness.com. This is Roger Kimball. The headline, The Coming Dethronement of Joe Biden. It's not often that I agree with Joe Biden, but he said something in his nasty, brutish, and long press conference last week with which, if I properly understood, I agree. Don't get me wrong. The press conference as a whole was a total disaster. 
Notwithstanding the sycophantic performance of the court eunuchs in the regime media, everybody understands this. But speaking of court eunuchs, what's the female equivalent? It was Jen Rubin who actually gave Biden an A- minus for the presser. That prompts this vital question, and I hope some enterprising savant will contribute the answer. At one point, a reporter, noting a few of the multifarious failures in Biden's first year in office, runaway inflation, his failure to shut down the virus, the smoldering ruin of his legislative agenda, the sharp, persistent partisan divisions that he came to office promising to heal. Given all that, the scribe suggested, perhaps Biden had overpromised. No, no, Biden replied, I didn't overpromise, but I have probably outperformed what anybody thought would happen. Delicious, isn't it? Peel off and discard the first bit. Biden clearly overpromised. Just utter the word normalcy anywhere near the name Biden and watch the reaction. But many people jumped all over the second bit. Senator Ron Johnson, for example, quoted the word outperformed and tweeted, I'm not sure what planet he's inhabiting, but on planet Earth, his record is a record of failure. That is true. It's a dismal record of failure, and we've only made it through one year. Biden's even outdone his master, Barack Obama, who before Biden held the world record for worst presidency in the history of the United States. Biden is far worse in part, granted, because he continues to follow the blueprint set forth by his clean, elegantly clad predecessor. And that is a tongue in cheek remark about how in 2008, Joe Biden called Barack Obama the first clean and articulate black candidate that had run for president. I have to cavil with the idea that Biden has not outperformed expectations. He certainly outperformed mine. I didn't think he would make it through his first year in the White House. To be honest, I did not either. But here it is, January 20-something, and the old guy is still in office. Amazing. True, there is something of Dr. Johnson's dog about the whole thing. Presented with the spectacle of female preachers, Samuel Johnson marveled, Sir, a woman's preaching is like a dog's walking on its hind legs. It is not done well, but you are surprised to find it done at all. My feelings about Joe Biden are somewhat similar. I've accordingly revised my prediction. I was wrong that Joe Biden wouldn't make it through his first year. I continue to cling to the conviction that he will not remain the occupant of the White House through to the morning of January 20th, 2025. I also will take that bet. I also would say that Joe Biden has never actually legally been president and history will not remember that Joe Biden actually was president. History will remember this situation as it unfolds of a temporary overthrow in American government as recognized by the culture at large, but not fulfilling any of the actual legal requirements for a man to be considered president in the eyes of history. The prospect of a second Biden term is, I am convinced, not worth speaking about. In tragedy, Aristotle said, we should prefer probable impossibilities to improbable possibilities. But a second Biden term is so improbable as to well nigh be impossible. And I am not forgetting about what a tragedy such an eventuality would entail for the country and the world. Even CNN seems to be coming around to this realization. If I am remotely correct about this, Biden's situation presents the unnamed committee who actually runs the presidency with a huge and delicate problem. Biden's behavior long ago passed from embarrassing to dangerous. We can see that all around us. By October of 79 AD, Romans living in the vicinity of Mount Vesuvius had become accustomed to tremors and erectations 
a large-ish earthquake in 62 AD had caused widespread damage. Plumes of poisonous gas killed some 600 sheep. But the populace got used to the interruptions until around mid-October of 79, that is, when the volcano erupted and buried the surrounding area in yards and yards of molten lava and volcanic ash. I'd say we've had plenty of admonitory tremors. And who knows how many sheep have been gassed along the way. We're still waiting for the big one, however. And as of this writing, it's not clear how it will unfold. Will Biden do something stupid? Stop tittering with your suggestion that I should insert a full stop after the word stupid. What I was going to say was, will he do something stupid in Ukraine, precipitating a crisis with Vladimir Putin? Will he continue to coddle President Xi Jinping or the mullahs in Iran? Do not, Barack Obama once warned, underestimate Joe's ability to fuck things up. What if we get double digit inflation plus rising interest rates plus a recession? And it's probable that we will get all of those, by the way. And we probably do already have double digit inflation. And we'd see that if it was being accurately calculated and accurately reported. We're well down that road. And though I try to arrange things so that there is no math, I do note that the interest payments on our $30 trillion federal debt are much bigger at 5% than they are at roughly 1%. Some people talk about invoking the 25th Amendment and removing Biden for incapacity. But waiting in the wings to take the reins of power is Kamala Harris. And after her is Nancy Pelosi. Think about that. So I don't think that expedient will be resorted to. Somehow, the cabal that put Biden in power will scheme to winkle him out of power. It is unlikely to be as straightforward as it was with Richard Nixon. Biden is not hated so much as he is held in contempt. And with Nixon, the Democrats were fortunate that his vice president, Spiro Agnew, was corrupt in a good, old-fashioned, straightforward political way. It turns out that he liked simple brown bags, especially ones filled with cash. Agnew would have been as unacceptable as Kamala Harris, but the blatant corruption made it easy to get rid of him before proceeding to tackle the big fish of Richard Nixon. As I say, I doubt removing Joe Biden will be so easy. It will be interesting to see what the deep state committee comes up with. They put him in power, instructing Bernie Sanders and the other Democrats to drop out in 2020, and they will figure out a way to remove him from the 2024 presidential equation. Perhaps it will be something like those corrupt quiz shows in the 1950s, shows like 21. Radio quiz shows had been wildly popular, so early television producers had high hopes. When 21 debuted, however, it was a dismal failure. The contestants could hardly answer any questions. It is a nice detail that the initial sponsor was Geritol, a detail that may well play a role in American politics today. Well, the television producers weren't going to gamble on a repeat of the initial performance, so they began coaching one or more of the contestants. They let one player rack up considerable winnings, and then, when the public's interest began to wane, instructed him to throw the contest to another player. Unfortunately, one of the players, Herb Stemple, did not take his dethronement lying down. He told his story and exposed Charles Van Doren, son of the poet Mark Van Doren, who had taken Stemple's place. It took a while for the story to achieve general credibility, but it eventually did and caused a huge scandal. Maybe we have something similar to look forward to with Joe Biden and whoever the committee elects as his successor. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in that. And again, the reason I share these is because this narrative is increasing in its prevalence. There are articles hitting the mainstream or 
the edges of the mainstream. I'm not calling American greatness a mainstream publication by any measure. But this stuff seeps into the mainstream, especially when it's a writer like Roger Kimball, who is widely read. It is important that the idea continues to build that Joe Biden is corrupt, that Joe Biden is demented and incompetent and well past his prime, though his prime was nothing to brag about. It's important that the narrative keeps building, that everything Joe Biden has touched so far in his illegitimate presidency has turned bad almost immediately. It's important to recognize, it's important for the narrative to build, that Joe Biden is not even remotely in control of his own presidency and never was and did not control his campaign and does not have the cognitive ability or the leeway to be in control of anything. He is fully controlled. We know that because he didn't win the election, yet nonetheless pretends to sit legitimately in the White House. He did not do that by himself. It's important that the narrative continues to build behind his illegitimacy, and it is important that the narrative continues to build behind the fact that they intend to replace him. Now, Roger Kimball may not be familiar with my work, but hey, Roger, in October of 2020, I proposed the idea, seeing with Hunter Biden's laptop, that the rumors and innuendo, the stuff we had ample proof for, but the media would not cover and the public would not believe. Once Hunter Biden's laptop dropped, that stuff was all there and it was all going to come out eventually. There was no way that could just be covered up forever. The Internet had access to the hard drive, which meant eventually everyone would have it because it's true, because they're crimes, because it is filled with evidence that the man pretending to be president right now is one of the most corrupt politicians in American history, if not the most corrupt. And so back then I started thinking, well, why would they put a guy in this position who could be so easily taken down by everything that he provably has done? And then, of course, the fact that he has no ability whatsoever to be president. He genuinely does not possess any of the necessary skills. He is only a narcissist who thinks that president is the end to his perfect heroic story. And that's why he's there on his behalf, at least. But that's not why he was placed there. He was placed there for a reason. And the people who placed him there wanted him there. Why would it make sense to want a person in that position who can't do the job and has all of this provably and verifiably in their past? I proposed that the reason they might want him there was because Joe Biden would make the perfect fall guy. And what I meant was Joe Biden could go get planted into the office of fake president. He could begin to implement all of the agenda items in the global reset. He has failed spectacularly in doing so. 
But the intent was that he would get all of this stuff passed with the Democrat majority in the Congress and the Senate, a marginally friendly Supreme Court, not totally friendly, but at least not hostile to Joe Biden or the people behind him. Certainly some of them, perhaps even most of them, are as corrupt as any other politician that we have had the displeasure of watching pretend to lead us over the last few years outside of a handful. He had the media and big tech to protect him. They could get their narrative out and censor any counter narrative. They have politicians all over the country who refuse and actively attempt to block any looks into the obviously and overwhelmingly fraudulent 2020 election. So the people running Joe Biden had every reason to believe that if they just got him in there to sign pieces of legislation that they pushed through through whatever corrupt means necessary, then they would get the whole package that they wanted and they would be able to push the global reset through. The United States is the last piece of what they really need to get their new system in place. And that's why they are so desperately trying to push it. If they lose power in November 2022 in the way that they should with MAGA candidates replacing Democrats and rhinos all over the country, the global reset agenda is dead in the water. And that's without even discussing 2024 or Trump coming back or anything. Just that election alone would put a halt to their plans. So Joe Biden has failed spectacularly. But let's imagine a world where things had gone as they had planned and Joe Biden was more successful. He had gotten Build Back Better passed. He got this Voting Rights Act passed to take over elections completely. He got a pathway to citizenship passed and made 30 to 40 million illegal immigrants in our country, full American citizens who could vote in this election. Or they just go ahead and pass illegal immigrant voting like they are in New York City. All of that stuff should have worked fine. And by the time the stories about Joe Biden began to come out, he would have already done what they needed him to do. At that point, they could simply cut the line to Joe Biden, let him drift out into the ocean, never to be seen again, blame all of the corruption and the criminality on him. He would still get propped up as this progressive hero, but a flawed man. And then they would replace him with somebody who is viewed as more competent. And at that point, they could begin releasing COVID restrictions. The economy would get marginally better in the lead up to the election. People would feel more comfortable about where their lives were. And then they would go out and vote for Democrats. Not enough to win. Not enough to win, but enough to convince the public that it's possible they could have won as much as they need to. And I'm including Democrats and rhinos in there. What they fear is a MAGA majority led by Donald Trump. That is something they cannot defeat. Republicans and Democrats, that little letter in front of their name doesn't mean a thing at all to the global communists the global reset agenda, the military industrial complex, the deep state, any of the people 
who had a hand in Joe Biden's placement in the office of fake president. They don't care at all about a D or an R in front of somebody's name because their game is played at a higher level. Their game is controlling those politicians completely, whether it's through corruption and bribery or through compromise, what they have on these politicians. So they could blame Joe Biden for all of it, replace him with somebody, things start to get better, and then they have a narrative of hope that they can carry through the November 2022 election campaign and the media will help pretend that because things are so much better in everybody's lives, the Democrats would win an election. Now, Kimball doesn't go as far as I do. He doesn't have that part and he doesn't have what I think will be the solution. And I've talked about this on here before. He notes that Kamala Harris is viewed even worse than Joe Biden. No one believes that she is competent. No one believes she should be president. And outside of the uh, trite woke narrative about how it'd be the greatest thing in the world to have a woman of color as president for the first time, Kamala Harris has absolutely no other redeeming qualities. And it's funny that the left continues to promote people through their feminist agenda and their race agenda who are this incompetent, right? They are actually shooting themselves in the foot. And who knows, maybe they have some diabolical intent to do that and prove that, no, it turns out, uh, women of color are not automatically suited to be president. Just like many of the white men who've been president have done an absolutely horrible job, like uh, George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and the list goes on. And of course, they already tried Barack Obama for the person of color option, and he was an absolutely horrible president. So perhaps they might begin to realize that America is beginning to understand that the difference between a good president and a bad president is based on how much that person aligns with the global communist who put Joe Biden in office. So Kamala Harris is not going to be a replacement. And Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris have been having meetings. Everybody talks about how Hillary Clinton should potentially run In 2024, Hillary Clinton very likely could not have gotten fake elected in 2020. Maybe she could have. Maybe they could have cheated enough for her. But then they couldn't have used Hillary Clinton as a fall guy. They couldn't have gotten rid of a very, very bad apple like Joe Biden. Hillary Clinton would have come in and maybe she would have shut down COVID and all that. But there would have been a backlash about her putting in the same priorities that Joe Biden is putting in. People don't want these policies. That's why they can't get Senate majorities or any real congressional majority besides completely corrupt communist Democrats to vote for any of their stuff. The agenda is dead in the water. And so what do you do in that situation? I've said many times and I will continue to say. I think they will try to find a route to get rid of Kamala Harris, bring Hillary Clinton into her spot, and then get rid of Joe Biden. That's how you slip Hillary Clinton in. And then she can be the first woman president, and they could allow things in certain sectors of society to get marginally better. 
Hillary Clinton could take all the credit for that. The Democrats would no longer seem as incompetent. They would probably be equally or more hated. But again, the global communists running Joe Biden and running the old guard institutions, whether it's media or entertainment or tech or the universities or public health or the political parties or the military industrial complex or any of the rest of it. These are mostly ne'er-do-wells who made a life for themselves by taking their huge head start based on who their parents and grandparents are. And then they tried to acquire success through social status. And they did so through, as I mentioned before, corruption and compromise. These people are not that smart. They live in a bubble. They believe what Twitter says. They believe what the mainstream media says. They don't have an understanding of how much normal people can see exactly what they're doing and how much normal people don't like it. And so I wouldn't put it past them to attempt something like this. Now, on Friday evening, I think it was, Politico released a draft executive order from Donald Trump that was uncovered after the Trump administration handed over documentation surrounding January 6th to the January 6th committee. A lot of people believe, and I think that this idea makes a lot of sense and even more sense once we go through this story, but a lot of people believe that the Supreme Court's decision to allow these files to be released actually does nothing but benefit MAGA in the quest for transparency. If you are like me and you believe that Donald Trump didn't leave office in a flurry of weakness and incompetence, then you will understand this draft executive order as being not only 100% proof that the election was stolen, that Trump knew it, and that the military knew it, but that he was well within his rights to take action Action was considered and they chose a different route. And that's the important thing. You got to understand what's happening over the last year plus that we have had a fake president. That was a product not only of the global communists using force and cheating to place their guy into that office. It was also a choice by Donald Trump to choose something else rather than disrupting the entire society and potentially sparking a civil war. Okay, that is a premise of my show and my argument. If you're one of the people who still thinks that Donald Trump was just a dumb guy fumbling around from situation to situation while getting almost exclusively positive results for Americans in the real world, despite how upset everyone in the media always was, Honestly, I don't know what to tell you. That view makes less sense every day, and I don't believe it made any sense to begin with. Donald Trump took on every old guard institution, every establishment that America had, every bit of corruption and compromise and criminality, and he still became president in 2016. 
Did the global communists just set that up too? Of course not, because he ruined so many of their plans. And that is why they are scrambling right now in such high speed that all of it is becoming exposed. So I don't buy the Trump is dumb thesis in the slightest. Okay, so let's go to the Politico piece first. Rather than reading the piece, I'm going to go directly to the Trump draft executive order. Okay, so, yes, this was Friday night, Friday afternoon, actually, in Politico, Betsy Woodruff Swan. This is if you want to look this up and go through it with me, if that's the sort of thing you like to do. The headline is read the never issued Trump order that would have seized voting machines again, Politico mainstream media. This is going out to all of their people, their audience, all of the child brained communists out there who still are addicted to the central narrative. All of them got this thrown in their faces on Friday. And of course, they were led to the wrong part of it so that they would melt down and think that they knew what this is all about without reading it and without understanding it. That is what the mainstream media does when they try to hide damaging information. They give a false story and freak out about it. So everybody joins the freak out. This is the draft executive order from December 16th, 2020. Okay. A month and a half after the election. And a couple days after, if memory serves, the December 14th, almost positive it's December 14th, date where state legislators got together to name electors that they would send on January 6th. The title of the executive order is Presidential Findings to Preserve, Collect, and Analyze National Security Information Regarding the 2020 General Election. By the authority vested in me as president of the United States pursuant to the Constitution and laws of the United States of America, including Article 2, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution, Executive Orders 12333, 13848, that's about the interference in foreign elections, National Security Presidential Memoranda 13 and 21, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, IEEPA, and all applicable Executive orders derived therefrom, the National Emergencies Act and Section 301 of Title III United States Code. I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, find that the forensic report of the Antrim County, Michigan voting machines released December 13th, 2020, and other evidence submitted to me in support of this order provide probable cause sufficient to require action under the authorities cited above because of evidence of international and foreign interference in the November 3rd, 2020 election. Dominion Voting Systems and related companies are owned or heavily controlled and influenced by foreign agents, countries, and interests. The forensic report prepared by experts found that the Dominion Voting System is intentionally and purposefully designed with inherent errors to create systemic fraud and influence election results. The system intentionally generates an enormously high number of ballot errors. The intentional errors lead to bulk adjudication of ballots with no oversight, no transparency, and no audit trail. This leads to voter or election fraud. And that was a quote from the report. 
The report found the election management system to be wrought with unacceptable and unlawful vulnerabilities, including access to the Internet, probable cause to find evidence of fraud and numerous malicious actions. There is also probable cause to find that Dominion voting systems, Smartmatic, electronic systems and software, that's the SNS, and Heart InterCivic, Clarity Election Night Reporting, Edison Research, Sequoia, CIDL, and similar or related entities, agents, or assigns have the same flaws and were subject to foreign interference in the 2020 election in the United States. There is probable cause to find these systems bear the same crucial code features, features in quotes, and defects that allowed the same outside foreign interference in our election, in which there was probable cause to find votes were in fact altered and manipulated contrary to the will of the voters. And it's important to note the word features there. Okay. Again, these systems weren't simply hacked. And what happened in Antrim, contrary to debunkings, was not a user error. The systems are built with the ability to create fraud as a feature. That's why they like the systems. That's why everyone freaks out about any mention of the machines. It's a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory. Well, if that's so, why don't you go watch a documentary called Kill Chain on HBO, where you can hear Amy Klobuchar and Kamala Harris, among others, talking about how open to hacking and other vulnerabilities these voting machines are. That's why they try to make Mike Lindell seem like a fool. Good luck, commies. Dominion Voting Systems is based in Toronto, Canada, and assigns its intellectual property, including patents on its firmware and software, to Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank Corporation, HSBC, a bank with its foundation in China and its current headquarters in London, UK. The Dominion voting system is owned and controlled by foreign entities. Multiple expert witnesses and cyber experts identified acts of foreign interference in the election prior to November 3rd, 2020, and continued in the following weeks. In fact, there is probable cause to find a massive cyber attack by foreign interests on our crucial national infrastructure surrounding our election, not the least of which was the hacking of the voter registration system by Iran. And in parentheses, BO13800 of May 11th, 2017. 2017. Oh, well, that's interesting. You know, they also reported evidence that Iran had accessed American voter registries in the days leading up to the 2020 election. So there was already foreign interference before the election started that could have immediately clicked into place Executive Order 13848. If you're not familiar with that document, you should become so. Just days prior to the election of November 3rd, 2020, federal judge Totenberg found after three days of testimony, including by Dominion executive Eric Coomer, there are true risks. And this is the judge's finding. Okay, I'm quoting now the judge's finding, and it's a little long. There are true risks posed by the new BMD ballot marking device of Georgia's Dominion voting systems voting system. So there are true risks posed by the new BMD voting system, as well as its manner implementation. 
These risks are neither hypothetical nor remote under the current circumstances. The insularity of the defendants and Dominion stance here in evaluation and management of the security and vulnerability of the BMD system does not benefit the public or citizens confident exercise of the franchise. You got that before the election, a federal judge in Georgia found that the flaws and vulnerabilities in the Dominion system do not benefit the public or citizens confident exercise of the franchise. So when we're talking about reducing public trust in the integrity of our elections, anyone, anyone who supports or defends the voting machines is guilty of doing that. The machines are one of the problems. They are not by any stretch, the only problem. And the machine fraud is not the only kind of fraud that happened, but the machines themselves destroy public confidence in elections as they should, because this is what the machines are capable of going on with the judge's quote, the stealth vote alteration or operational interference risks posed by malware that can be effectively invisible to detection, whether intentionally seeded or not are high once implanted. If equipment and software systems are not properly protected, implemented, and audited, the modality of the BMD system's capacity to deprive voters of their cast votes without burden, long wait times, and insecurity regarding how their votes are actually cast and recorded in the unverified QR code makes the potential constitutional deprivation less transparently visible as well at least until any portions of the system implode because of system breach, breakdown, or crashes. Any operational shortcuts now in setting up or running election equipment or software creates other risks that can adversely impact the voting process. The judge continues. The plaintiff's national cybersecurity experts convincingly present evidence that this is not a question of, quote, might this actually ever happen, end quote. But when it will happen, especially if further protective measures are not taken, given the masking nature of malware and the current systems described here, if the state and dominion simply stand by and say, we have never seen it, the future does not bode well. Still, this is year one for Georgia in implementation of this new BMD system as the first state in the nation to embrace statewide implementation of this QR barcode based BMD system for its entire population. Got that? Georgia is leading the field on machine corruption in their elections. I wonder if Stacey Abrams was involved or maybe Brad Raffensperger or Brian Kemp. Oh, it was all of them? Of course. Electoral dysfunction, cyber or otherwise, should not be desired as a mode of proof. It may well land, unfortunately, on the state's doorstep. The court certainly hopes not. And back to the draft executive order. That was the end of what they clipped from Judge Totenberg's decision. And yet it did. Every defect and hazard of which Judge Totenberg warned happened in Georgia. Witnesses in Georgia have provided evidence of crashes, the replacement of a server, impermissible updates to the system, connections to the Internet, and both Coffee and Ware counties have identified a significant percentage of votes being wrongly allocated, contrary to the will of the voter. 
Coffee County, Georgia has refused to certify its result. Again, this is December 16th, 2020. They had firm, hard proof of all of this on December 16th, 2020. Accordingly, I hereby order one effective immediately. The secretary of defense shall seize, collect, retain, and analyze all machines, equipment, electronically stored information, and material records required for retention under United States Code Title 42, Sections 1974 through 1974 E, including but not limited to those identified in footnote one. The Secretary of Defense has discretion to determine the interdiction of national critical infrastructure supporting federal elections. Designated locations will be identified in the operation order. Two. Within seven days of commencement of operations, the initial assessment must be provided to the office of the director of national intelligence, who at the time was John Ratcliffe. The final assessment must be provided to the office of the director of national intelligence no later than 60 days from the commencement of operations. Three, the director of national intelligence shall deliver this assessment and appropriate supporting information to the president, the secretary of state, the secretary of the treasury, the secretary of defense, the attorney general, and the secretary of homeland security Four, a direct liaison to be authorized to coordinate as required between the applicable U S departments and agencies. Five, the secretary of defense may select by name or by unit federalization of appropriate national guard support. That's big because that would have been used to maintain peace throughout the country. Six, the assistant secretary of defense for Homeland Security will coordinate support requirements as needed from the Department of Homeland Security. Seven, the appointment of a special counsel to oversee this operation and institute all criminal and civil proceedings as appropriate based on the evidence collected and provided all resources necessary to carry out her duties consistent with federal laws and the Constitution. So there you have it. Does that sound like they were not aware of the election fraud that happened? Of course not. None of this has ever been a conspiracy theory, not at any point. It is just simply the facts about an actual conspiracy. And Trump was well within his authority to deal with these issues and deal with them. However, the constitution allowed when a situation like this presents itself, it's the president's job to think about the upside and the downside and find the appropriate response. Unless you believe that president Trump is scared of these people or just wanted to live as a private citizen, obviously not true. And he's clearly not scared of these people. Or you believe that he actually is stupid and incompetent, though that view makes no sense whatsoever. Then you have to understand that President Trump made a well thought out, rational decision about what the best direction for America was and what had the best chance to achieve the best results for the country. And so we have undertaken this alternate path for the last year plus now. The Democrats, of course, are focused on trying to make it like Trump was prepared to stage a military coup. That is the best thing they have, right? That's what they're going with on this. They asked for all this information. This is what they got. 
They haven't talked about any of the rest of it yet, by the way. You think they just don't want to bring out all the uh, the most controversial stuff that Donald Trump did in his final days in office? They've been begging for all this material for a year now. And this is what they got. And their best move is to tell the country that Donald Trump almost staged a military coup to overturn the election. And while doing that, they present to America that Donald Trump had overwhelming and obvious proof of fraud in that same election. Smart, smart commies. Great job. And their only move after that is to say that all of this has been debunked. And this just proves that Donald Trump was a conspiracy theorist in office. Does that document sound like it was written by a conspiracy theorist? Compare that, just that, on December 16th, 2020. Ignore all of the rest of the election fraud evidence and all of the stuff that's going on in all of these states, everything else they've found, even the videos of Ruby Freeman. Ignore all of it. Just look at that. What sounds more informed, fact-based, and reasonable? That executive order or the reasons the Democrats give that Joe Biden really is a real president? 81 million real legal American votes. No one can believe that. It was the most safe and secure election of all time. Well, that's just clownish at this point. And even Democrats are beginning to see that. And Bill Barr, he didn't find enough material evidence of fraud that would have changed the outcome of the election. That's it. Oh, in the court cases, some judges, even Trump judges said that said that he didn't have the evidence of fraud. Well, no, they didn't look at the evidence of fraud. And in the cases where they did, they either decided on the Trump campaign's behalf or they dismissed the cases for other reasons as a result of corrupt judges. And of course, we are going to see that argument begin to break down very soon. And let's also not forget in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court there has already said that there are 200,000 indefinitely confined voters who came out of nowhere and signed up with that status so they could avoid presenting a voter ID in these new registries. That was illegal. And the drop boxes were illegal. So up to a million votes in Wisconsin are just flat out illegal. And stuff is happening there. But all of their arguments, all of them, are collapsing completely. And none of them actually ever made sense or had anything provable behind them. They were just statements. And the media took them out into the public. The child brains received the new slogans and began repeating them everywhere. And then they said everyone who refused to repeat the slogans with them as a product of their ability to think for themselves and use things like their eyes and their ears, those people were all domestic terrorists and conspiracy theorists. But sure, I know the media is still right about Donald Trump and how dishonest and stupid he is. But let's check out how Politico talks about this draft executive order. Among the records that Donald Trump's lawyers tried to shield from January 6th investigators. No, 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 no. They're not investigators. They are an illegitimate committee put together by Nancy Pelosi to try to create crimes 
to justify the fact that Joe Biden's not legitimate and January 6th wasn't a violent insurrection. But let's continue. Among the records are a draft executive order that would have directed the defense secretary to seize voting machines and a document titled, quote, remarks on national healing, end quote. Politico has reviewed both documents. The text of the draft executive order is published here for the first time. The executive order, which also would have appointed a special counsel to probe the 2020 election, was never issued. The remarks are a draft of a speech Trump gave the next day. Together, the two documents point to the wildly divergent perspectives of White House advisors and allies during Trump's frenetic final weeks in office. It's not clear who wrote either document. But the draft executive order is dated December 16th, 2020, and is consistent with proposals that lawyer Sidney Powell made to the then president. On December 18th, 2020, Powell, former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, former Trump administration lawyer Emily Newman, and former Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne met with Trump in the Oval Office. In that meeting, Powell urged Trump to seize the voting machines and appoint her as special counsel to investigate the election, according to Axios. A spokesperson for the House's January 6th select committee confirmed earlier Friday that the panel had received the last of the documents that Trump's lawyers tried to keep under wraps and later declined to comment for this story on these two documents. So Trump and his lawyers tried to hide all this stuff. They were worried about what it might say about them. (laughs) How do these people believe any of this? Honestly, I, I don't know, man. I do not know how anyone can believe. Oh, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. I'm sorry. It's so stupid. There's nothing else you can say about it. But the spokesperson confirmed that they had received these very important documents and then gave no other comment about the content of the documents. The draft executive order shows that the weeks between Election Day and the Capitol attack could have been even more chaotic than they were. It credulously cites conspiracy theories about election fraud in Georgia and Michigan, as well as debunked notions about Dominion voting machines. The order empowers the Secretary of Defense to seize, collect, retain, and analyze all machines, equipment, electronically stored information, and material records required for retention under a U.S. law that relates to the preservation of election records. It also cites a lawsuit filed in 2017 against Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Additionally, the draft order would have given the defense secretary 60 days to write an assessment of the 2020 election that suggests it could have been a gambit to keep Trump in power until at least mid February of 2021. Oh yes, that was it. He was just trying to stay in power for another month. God, man. It opens by citing a host of presidential authorities to permit the steps that Trump would take, including the Constitution and Executive Order 12333, a well-known order governing the intelligence community. But the draft executive order also cites two classified documents, National Security Presidential Memoranda 13 and 21. The existence of the first of those memoranda is publicly known, but the existence of the second had not been previously reported. NSPM 13 governs the Pentagon's offensive cyber operations. According to a person with knowledge of the memoranda, 21 makes small adjustments to 13, and the two documents are viewed within the executive branch as a pair. Well, according to somebody, that's true. 
The fact that the draft executive orders author knew about the existence of Memorandum 21 suggests that they had access to information about sensitive government secrets, the person told Politico. So was it Sidney Powell or was it not? Because if it was, that means that Sidney Powell has more access to sensitive government information than we might have imagined. And if it wasn't, then tying Sidney Powell, Michael Flynn, and Patrick Byrne to this piece of the story seems like an attempt to introduce characters that the media has defined to the child brains as conspiracy theorists, thereby making the whole thing more plausible as a conspiracy theory and definitely not something real that you must take seriously. The draft order also greenlit, quote, the appointment of a special counsel to oversee this operation and institute all criminal and civil proceedings as appropriate based on the evidence collected and provided all resources necessary to carry out her duties consistent with federal laws in the Constitution, end quote. To bolster its provision, the draft order cites the forensic report from the Antrim County, Michigan voting machines. That report was produced by Russ Ramsland, who confused precincts in Minnesota for those in Michigan, according to the Washington Post. Okay, so either he did or did not do it. They could say as reported by the Washington Post, but no, they're just going to say the Washington Post said this thing. Is that thing true? No, it's not. Is the Antrim County report legitimate? Yes, it is. Was the Antrim County report accepted into a court case in Michigan involving attorney Matthew DiPerno? Yes, it was. So they tell the child brains that Russ Ramsland, oh, well, he just he just fumbled these around and somehow they ended up in this draft executive order because everybody on that side is stupid and a conspiracy theorist. They were just chasing rabbits. It was a wild goose chase. It was a witch hunt. They were chasing rabbits, gooses and witches all at the same time. And look where they ended up. Back to the article. Michigan's Secretary of State, meanwhile, released an exhaustive report rebutting election conspiracy theories and concluding that none of the, quote, known anomalies in Antrim County's November 2020 election were the result of any security breach. Michigan Secretary of State is the George Soros plant, Jocelyn Benson. This draft order represents not only an abuse of emergency powers, but a total misunderstanding of them, said Lisa Goitin, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at the nonprofit Brennan Center for Justice. That's who they're quoting. The Brennan Center for Justice is who they use to convince child brains that all of this is nonsense. The order doesn't even make the basic finding of an unusual and extraordinary threat that would be necessary to trigger any action under federal emergency powers law. It's the legal equivalent of a kid scrawling on the wall with crayons. Oh, you have really proven your case. I bet they were just saying things and didn't have the proof and documentation necessary. These people are unreal. The draft document labeled Remarks on National Healing, also now in the select panel's possession, provides a first look at the remarks Trump would deliver the next day, which stand in jarring contrast to other rhetoric Trump employed at the time and continues to use when discussing the insurrection. (laughs) 
I would like to begin today by addressing the heinous attack that took place yesterday at the United States Capitol. It opens like all Americans. I was outraged and sickened by the violence, lawlessness and mayhem. I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders. America is and must always be a nation of law and order. That claim that Trump immediately ordered the National Guard to head to the Capitol may be false. You got that? It may be false. They haven't been able to prove that yet, have they? Isn't that weird? After a year, it may be false. No, it's true. And they have just told everybody that it's false. So they are repeating that. So everybody knows, hey, hey, don't worry about that. We've already told you it's false. So just assume that it is. It, it, at least it may be. The January 6th Select Committee sent a letter Thursday saying that Trump's defense secretary at the time of the riot, Chris Miller, has testified under oath that the president never contacted him at any time on January 6th and never at any time issued him any order to deploy the National Guard. That's right. It happened days before. And Nancy Pelosi refused due to optics the presence of the National Guard. The national healing document continued with sharp criticism of the attack. The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy, the remarks state. I am directing the Department of Justice to ensure all lawbreakers are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. The document follows with a direct communication to the rioters. We must send a message, not with mercy, but with justice to those who engaged in acts of violence and destruction. I want to be very clear. You do not represent me. You do not re represent our movement. You do not represent our country. And if you broke the law, you belong in jail. The marks departed significantly from the way he described the rioters in other contexts. In a video released during the attack, Trump stuck, struck a tone of empathy with the mob. We have to have peace, Trump then said. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. And yes, he was saying that to the hundreds of thousands of peaceful protesters who went to Washington to make their voices heard that they too could see the obvious and overwhelming election of fraud in the 2020 election. The day after the attack, facing a torrent of criticism and public discussion about invoking the 25th Amendment generated entirely from Nancy Pelosi's office, I might add, in order to remove him from office, Trump delivered an Oval Office address similar to the draft remarks. In that address, Trump also condemned the violence at the Capitol and called for perpetrators to be held accountable. And I'm sure that the actual perpetrators still will be. A Trump spokesperson declined to comment for this story. Draft versus reality. The draft remarks go on to describe emotions running high after an intense election. But now tempers must be cooled and calm restored. That was a quote from the remarks. Trump, quote, vigorously pursued every legal avenue to contest the election results, end quote, the remarks add, and still urges election reform so voters could be confident about future contests. But as for this election, Congress has now certified the results, the remarks say. The election fight is over. A new administration will be inaugurated on January 20th. My focus now turns to ensuring a smooth, orderly, and seamless transition of power. This moment calls for healing and reconciliation. In the year since the riot, Trump's recent characterization of the attack has veered wildly from that sentiment in the draft remarks. The former president has described the 2020 election as the insurrection and January 6th, 2021 as the protest. He has also praised Ashley Babbitt, a rioter 
according to Politico, who entered the Capitol and was shot and killed there by a police officer. Yes, Michael Byrd murdered her. It's strange that they don't quote from the parts of his remarks that clarify the election was indeed still stolen, despite Congress's certification of the electors. He also has never conceded. He put the election under protest, and it has remained so ever since Election Day. The remarks go on to strike a unifying tone in discussing the coronavirus. The pandemic isolated millions in their homes, damaged the economy, and claimed countless victims. The document continues. Ending the pandemic and rebuilding the economy, it adds, will require all of us working together along with the renewed emphasis on patriotism, faith, and community. We must renew the sacred bonds of love and loyalty that bind us together as one national family, it adds. While Trump has courted the disapproval of some in his own base by publicly sharing that he's received a booster shot against COVID, he has chiefly emphasized the success of vaccines against the virus as his own personal victory. I came up with the vaccine with three vaccines, Trump told conservative pundit Candace Owens last month. All are very, very good. And that's the end of Politico's report. They just wanted to show everybody that Trump has said nice things about the vaccine and nice things about how the election fight is over. Well, okay, commies, good luck with that. So let's see how the clownish Benny Thompson of the January 6th Select Committee reacts to this document. Published the text of a draft executive order that had been presented to President Trump in December of 2020 to have the defense secretary seize voting machines in battleground states. And multiple news organizations have now reported this. Um, do you intend to go to the attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, to ask him about this? I mean, how do you follow up on an uh, on this kind of allegation and the paperwork to back it up? Well, yes, we do. To be honest with you, we've had conversations with the former attorney general already. Uh, we've talked to Department of Defense individuals. Uh, we are concerned uh, that our military uh, was part of this big lie on promoting uh, that the election was false. So if you are using the military uh, to potentially seize uh, voting machines, even though it's a discussion, uh, the public needs to know. We've never had that before. And so any of these individuals uh, who are participating in trying to stop the election, the duly election of a president, uh, and if we can document it, uh, we will share it with uh, the public. Imagine what it must be like to be Benny Thompson or any of these members of the illegitimate select committee in the House pretending to investigate January 6th and thinking that you're going to somehow uncover what Trump's grand plan really is thinking that you're going to expose something that will finally get the public on your side. And they think this is it. They're telling the child brains everywhere that the military may have been prepared to go along with Trump's conspiracy theory about election fraud. Imagine being them and believing that the public is going to trust you guys more than the military. They keep thinking they're going to be able to paint Trump as this violent military dictator who's going to stage 
a coup and retain control for himself over the United States for as long as he wants. Does anyone actually believe that even on their side? Does anyone believe that? I mean, maybe we have the 25% of the country that still wants Joe Biden to be president again. I think it's 28% to be fair, but we can imagine that that number is probably inflated and people are just trying to support Joe Biden because they've done it for so long. But how do those people even believe that? I can tell you that no one in MAGA world believes that or even wants that. There are plenty of people who wanted to see the military step in and override the fraudulent election. That is definitely true, but that is not staging a coup and it's not retaining presidential power for Donald Trump in perpetuity. None of us want that. We want the constitution restored. We want the actual results of the 2020 election to be implemented and have all the illegitimate congressmen and senators and local politicians and governors and, of course, the fake president to be thrown out of office as the law dictates and basic morality and common sense dictate as well. And I wanted to get to some stuff on Russia and Ukraine today. It's still nonsense. It's getting, it's becoming more nonsense. The further into this narrative they go and the further it collapses, it is exposed completely as a wag the dog effort. And I wanted to talk about some more corruption with China stuff, but I'll get to some of that later in the week. I'm supposed to be having Cash Patel back on this week, and I'll either put that episode up immediately in place of a normal daily episode, or maybe I'll have a bonus episode this weekend. I haven't decided yet, but let's leave those issues aside for now. And I just want to uh, go through Gateway Pundits part three on their investigation into the group called Eric that we discussed last week. I think it was on Friday, actually. Eric investigation part three. Soros Open Society and the Founding of the Nation's Largest Voter Roll Cleanup Operation. This is from This Morning in the Gateway Pundit. Last Thursday, the Gateway Pundit revealed Democrats and leftists have fought ferociously to prevent the cleanup of state voter registration rolls. Recognizing a potential niche, left-wing activists created ERIC to clean voter rolls their way using their rules. So in 2012, the Electronic Registration Information Center was formed as a membership organization primarily for blue states. ERIC is essentially a left-wing voter registration drive disguised as a voter roll cleanup. But it's been gaining traction in red states, too. Originally funded by the Soros Open Society, it is now responsible for cleaning voter rolls in 31 states, plus D.C. A top election official from each member state has appointed a seat on the Eric board or as an officer, all unpaid positions. On Friday, we reported on how Eric is working. The largest U.S. counties removed only zero to two ineligible voters from their voter rolls the last four years. Zero to two. That means all the people that moved, all the people that died, they were not cleared off the rolls in four years. Zero to two total voters were removed from their rolls. Today, we will focus on Eric and its connections to Soros and far left organizations. 
Democrats have been moving us rapidly toward a centralized interstate voting registration database. In the 90s, there were over 3,000 separate county databases. The 2000 HAVA Act, pushed by Democrats, required each state create one database. We moved to having only 50 databases of voters. Granted, some counties were allowed to keep their old systems, but they must share all data with their state's authorized system. Then came ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center, created in 2012. This nonprofit venture was to help clean voter rolls. It now has 31 member states all under contract who share all voter and MVD data with ERIC, close to 300 million records now. The deployment of ERIC plus the 19 holdout states leave us with 20 databases covering the entirety of America's elections. The Pew Center on the States was a research program of the left-leaning Pew Charitable Trusts. It was in place from 2007 until 2012, headed by Susan Uron, who is now CEO over all of Pew's $6 billion in assets. David Becker worked in the DOJ Civil Rights Voting Section from 1998 until 2005. He then worked for People for the American Way until 2007, a hard-left organization focused on shutting down conservatism. In 2008, Becker became the director of election initiatives at Pew. Becker and Pew built the media sensation around voter registration, the legal framework of Eric, while Jeff Jonas from IBM built the software technology. Pew was instrumental in getting Eric off the ground, sponsoring a 42-member work group on voter registration improvements in 2009. Washington State Co-Director of Elections Shane Hamlin and Kim Wyman, then the Thurston County, Washington Auditor, were part of that group. In 2012, Wyman became Secretary of State for Washington. The original funding of Eric came from an anonymous donor and Pew Center on the States who received grants from the Transparency and Integrity Fund of George Soros' Open Society. But the leftist founders realized Eric would not survive partisan politics, so the project transitioned to be fully funded by its member states. Funding documents can be found in these Soros Wayback archives under USA tab, and they show those in the article. Kim Wyman, a big lie rhino, was an advocate of Eric even before she became Secretary of State in 2012. She was then selected by Soros-funded Aspen Institute in 2013 to their Rodell Fellowship, their liberal leadership training program. Since 2012, Wyman and Hamlin have run Washington's 100% mail-in ballot elections with many controversies along the way. In October 2021, Biden offered Wyman the position of senior election security lead at CISA the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, replacing Chris Krebs, who was fired by Trump. And she took it. Shane Hamlin was the original chairman of ERIC and is now the executive director, still serving as the co-director of elections for Washington. Now retired, John Lindback was the first executive director of ERIC. He was also the senior officer in election initiatives at Pew and part of the original 2009 work group. He later worked as senior advisor for the left-leaning CSME, a subsidiary of Soros-funded dark money group New Venture Fund. CSME was closely aligned with CTCL, that's the Center for Tech and Civic Life, the Zuckerberg Election Initiative, or I should say one of the Zuckerberg election initiative groups. Previously, Lindback was the director of elections in Oregon for SOS, Secretary of State Bradbury. He had a seat on the EAC board and was president of the controversial NASED. 
Edgardo Cortez was chairman of Eric and chairman at the EAC Standards Board. He is now an advisor to the election security team at the Soros funded Brennan Center, the Brennan Center for Justice, as I just mentioned in the Politico article. Everything George Soros touches and controls is part of the central narrative and part of the global communist corruption. He is one of the funders who has spearheaded the entire movement to take over our country root and branch. In July 2011, Eric's UVR design was presented to California officials by Shane Hamlin, IBM architect Jeff Butcher, Pam Smith from Verified Voting, one of the approved auditors for the machines, and Jim Dempsey from Soros-funded Center for Democracy and Technology. Due to Democrat infighting, the California bill AB 2344 to add Eric to their election laws never made it. California never joined Eric. On February 14th, 2012, Pew Center on the States released statements in a full study about, quote, inaccurate, costly and inefficient, end quote, voter rolls. This started the liberal push for states to join Eric and paperless voter registration. Academia across the country helped these liberals from Caltech, MIT, University of Washington, UC Berkeley, the ACLU, and many more published papers about voter registration issues. Throughout 2012, voter registration articles appeared in NPR, New York Times, USA Today, Los Angeles Times, CNN, Politico, Huffington Post, and so on. Eric was presented to the National Council on State Legislatures by Becker. In May of 2013, by executive order, Obama created the Presidential Commission on Election Administration. It included his personal attorney, Bob Bauer, Director of Elections for Michigan, Thomas, and the Clark County Registrar, Lomax, known for the ACORN registration scam. It also included Mitt Romney's campaign attorney, Ginsburg and Tammy Patrick from Maricopa County Elections Compliance. She now works at the Soros Partner Democracy Fund. Becker and Hamlin presented Eric to this commission, stating it will, quote, empower states to get lists of new citizens who do not appear registered to vote, end quote. New citizens. What an odd phrasing. As expected, the commission's final report recommended all states join Eric. In June 2013, Becker and IBM's Jonas presented Eric at IBM Edge, their annual user conference with 5,000 attendees. In 2014, the Senate Rules Committee, headed by Chuck Schumer, held three hearings to expand voter registration and push Eric. After these promotions, states started joining Eric. But somehow our voter rolls never got clean. And I know that my audience does not think with the brains of children So this is not directed at you, but imagine that you did have the brain of a child. You would think that the country could be taken over by Donald Trump having the military seize voting machines and keep himself in power for another month. And then just something happens and he stays forever. No, that's not how powerful countries are taken over in the 21st century. Powerful countries are taken over in the 21st century by allowing these outside groups to corrupt and compromise our politicians and slowly over years and a couple of decades put a system in place that they can have full control and can choose who our representatives will be regardless of the sentiment or the vote of the American citizenry. 
That is exactly what we see happening. And this is one of the systems you are being led through the growth of this system and how a man like George Soros can push his malign influence throughout our society. In 2020, Judicial Watch found 29 states had huge registration excesses. In eight states, if you combined all counties, their average registration for the entire state exceeded 100%. Seven of the eight are longtime members of ERIC, Alaska, Colorado, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Rhode Island, and Vermont. In fact, Wyman's own Washington had 14 of 39 counties exceeding 100%. Colorado, a huge proponent and also eight-year member of ERIC, had 40 of 64 counties exceeding 100% in registration, which means they had more registered voters than eligible voters. They were sued by Judicial Watch for this election fraud. So who's in control of ERIC and what's really going on here? IBM's Jeff Jonas and Jeff Butcher, who both designed Eric's technology, went on to co-found Sensing in 2016. This is the data matching AI that runs Eric. In a 2018 New York Times interview, Jonas says, quote, Eric has a two-person staff. One tends to the constantly growing database, end quote. Sensing manages the evolution of the AIR, but has no headquarters. Their 20 full-time employees work from wherever they please. In 2018, Jonas went, quote, full nomad, end quote, and became an extreme minimalist, selling his belongings and living out of a duffel. Jonas donates to Democrats, Harry Reid, Dick Durbin, Obama for America, and Bernie Sanders, to name a few. Erica Haas is the system engineer at Eric for nine years now. She previously worked in the Oregon Secretary of State's office with Lindback. In February 2018, DHS created the Elections Infrastructure Sector Coordinating Council. Haas shares a seat on this council with staff from Dominion, ESNS, Smartmatic, and Unison Voting. SCC represents 30 companies responsible for providing key components to our elections, including public policy. The SCC group rubs noses with GCC Council, which includes CISA, EAC, the National Association of Secretary of States, and the National Association of State Election Directors. This insider bootlicking and glad handing is the result of former DHS director Jay Johnson declaring our elections, quote, critical infrastructure. David Becker, the lead driver of Eric, is truly a scoundrel. In 2016, he founded CEIR. He distributed $69.5 million in Zuckerberg money in 2020, aligned with CTCL. While at the DOJ, Becker was reported to OPR, that's the ethics board. Brad Schultzman, head of DOJ Civil Rights Division stated, it's the most unethical thing I've ever seen. He's a hardcore leftist who couldn't stand conservatives. Emails revealed nasty, disparaging remarks about Republicans, unethical and unprofessional, end quote. In 2020, Becker's CEIR gave $20 million to Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's personal nonprofit. And we just mentioned her before. That's Jocelyn Benson, the Soros Secretary of State in Michigan. She then directed $11.8 million to two Democrat PR firms. The Gateway Pundit reported how Becker founded the EOLDN to help election officials with lawyers who would fend off legitimate claims of election fraud. 
In 2013, RTI International provided their stage one evaluation of Eric's member states. After giving tens of millions of voter records to this Eric nonprofit, the initial seven states, Colorado, Delaware, Maryland, Nevada, Utah, and Virginia, found a measly 0.8% increase in voter registrations. Stage two evaluation was not made public. And it's probably worth noting that if they had a 0.8% in increased voter registrations, I wonder what that number would be if they were actually removing people from the rolls. And just to cap things off in thinking about elections and the response to elections and ridding ourselves of election fraud on Friday afternoon, Representative Tim Ramthan from Wisconsin joined Brandon House on Frank Speech TV you can still go to Frank Speech, xyz.frankspeech.com and watch their interview. The interview is also linked from the information stream on Telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator. And you can go to Tim Rantham's site or you can go to the info stream and also find this. Just search Ramthun, R-A-M-T-H-U-N in the info stream and check out this document. I'm going to hope to go through some of it tomorrow with you. But Tim Ramthan has fully laid out the case in Wisconsin with supporting evidence easily viewable by anyone to show that the election in 2020 that happened in Wisconsin and was certified by corrupt Wisconsin officials was absolutely overwhelmingly, obviously a fraud. And he is in a push right now to have that election decertified. What people can do is familiarize themselves with the information. Contact your friends in Wisconsin. Maybe you're in Wisconsin. Encourage them to familiarize themselves with this information and contact their reps and state senators. Decertification in Wisconsin is a real possibility. It is legal. It is possible. It is the right thing to do. When one state falls, they all will fall and the election will be taken down. It was fully compromised. It was an absolute fraud. It is the single greatest crime against this country in this country's history. It may be one of the greatest crimes in world history. And it is also the single best way to stop all of the destruction that is taking place in our society right now. You want to wake up all the normies, all the child brains who are still totally asleep and totally ignorant and totally clueless about the two greatest concurrent crises that this country or any country may ever face. You want to fix that? Fix this. Decertification is the key. The election fraud is the key. This narrative is building. There is no way to stop it. It has been slow and more frustrating than we would like, but it is still building. It is still possible, and we can and will still get there. And hearing Ramthan on Friday, I now believe that Wisconsin may win the race that they have been running with Arizona and to a lesser degree, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Nevada, etc. So please share the show. 
I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. as moderator for tonight's broadcast. It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm Your Moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!